Welcome to Scarlet Fever, Episode 3. My name is Grant Hansen. I am joined by Senior Sports Editor Landon Wirt. Week 3 of the college athletic season is upon us. And as always, there is a lot to talk about here at good old Nebraska U. Nebraska soccer drops a tough game to UNL, but responded with a big win over Loyola Chicago on Sunday, so we'll dive into that. Plus, Nebraska football added their first game to the win column this weekend, defeating Fordham 52-7, so we'll touch on that. And preview the matchup against Buffalo on Saturday. And we'll close the show with 1-2-NU, so don't forget to stick around for that as well. But first, Nebraska Volleyball begins to tear into the meat of their non-conference schedule with two matches this week. The third-rated Huskers face ranked opponents Creighton at number 19 and Utah at number 20 this week as the Huskers hope to defend their, as of now, perfect record. We break it all down next with the DN's Thomas Cotto. You're listening to Scarlet Fever. All right, welcome in again to Scarlet Fever. You can follow Landon on Twitter at Landon Wirt. You can find me, uh, Grant Hansen, at Hansen with an E-N, H-A-N-S-E-N, 15 underscore Hansen. Don't forget, this is a Daily Nebraskan podcast, so give at Daily N-E-B and at D-N Sports a follow for all of your campus news from the students who live it every day. And we'll start here with Nebraska Volleyball, number three in the country, 5-0, and and they have a big, big couple of weeks ahead against all ranked opponents. This week, number 19, Creighton, on Wednesday, which is the day we're recording this episode. This will be released on Friday. And then on Saturday against number 20, Utah. Both teams are undefeated, and we're going to bring in Thomas Cotto to talk about it. One of two beat writers uh, for Husker Volleyball for the Daily Nebraska, and I am the other. And so let's talk. Husker Volleyball, it's a 5-0 and start. An interesting weekend last weekend, kind of a slow start on Friday in a couple of games, and Saturday you closed well with a win against Arizona State. You wrote for that game. Your thoughts? Well, head coach John Cook pretty much summed it up perfectly after the at the press conference after Arizona State. He said that was really when he saw the team finding their rhythm. First set, first set was a great battle with Arizona State and a good solid win. Second set was just blowout in terms of Nebraska volleyball. Third set got a little bit exciting, but they were still able to pull out the win. So Cook believes that the team is heading in the right direction. Obviously, these first two weeks have been very experimental because a lot of great, a lot of great players. So a lot of experimentation in terms of like lineup. He's been switching up the lineup quite a bit. But of course, heading into this week today with Creighton, Saturday with Utah, and the next Tuesday with Stanford, this is going to be a very interesting week for Nebraska volleyball. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's good that Nebraska is able to show some resolve this weekend. Coming out with a, you know, little challenging victory against UNO. We had kind of talked right. about this last week that we thought that UNO was kind of going to come in and make a statement, at least try to. It's an in-state battle. They're playing at the Devaney. Like, of course, they want to come and put on a show. And they did. Uh, very, very, way too close for comfort uh, right. on Friday morning. But, and, you know, kind of... A little bit of a similar story. Nebraska had to overcome a lot of adversity this week, which was something that you know we kind of saw last weekend against K State a little bit, but not really all too often. So, I mean, it, of course, it's not up to John Cook's standards, right? Like he wants Nebraska to be this Alabama type that just rolls over over everybody in non-conference. Doesn't matter who you are, but I, I mean, I don't know. Did we learn something about Nebraska volleyball this weekend? Yeah, I mean, I think you know, in my opinion. What we learned this weekend is that they're still finding themselves in some ways. I think they got up really close to that against Arizona State. But I think one thing you definitely learned is that there are a number of players on this team who can play and they can all play well. And 
because of the chemistry on this team, you can sense in press conferences post-game from the players, you can see it on the court, chemistry is really good, right? And so because of that, Coach Cook has the flexibility to say, hey, look, Lindsay's not having a great night. She wasn't having a great night against Georgia. I can pull her and put someone else in, in uh, Whitney Lowenstein, and Lindsay, or Lindsay isn't going to just collapse because, of, because she got pulled, right? They're, they're very supportive of each other, and that's true across the board. And so it's going to be a different person every night. You think about you know, the difference in Saturday night's match against Georgia and that 3-1 victory in which the Huskers dropped the first set. Maddie Kubik comes on in the second and the third, tallies between those two sets uh, somewhere around 12 kills, 7 uh, in the third set alone, leads the team for the match with 15. Then you turn around to Saturday night against Arizona State, Maddie Kubik basically comes in to serve, and that's about it. Lexi Sun, on the other hand, who had a very quiet Friday night, returns to her usual self, gets set about 35 or so times, tallies double-digit kills, and the Huskers win easily, right? So it's going to be a different set of players seemingly every night. Now, I wonder how much that experimentation with the lineup continues um, You know, into this week with the really, again, tonight, as we record this on Wednesday, a really, really big match against Creighton. Uh, but I, I, I think that is one thing you see is there's a lot of people who can play in this lineup. And hopefully, you know, they've learned how, or Coach Cook uh, and staff find a way to utilize and maximize all of their strengths. Uh, I, think, I think both players and staff are still trying to find that here a little bit. Uh, and you brought up an excellent point with how a player could be benched for a match and it won't be like the end of them you know they they could right. they could just be having an off night and but that's the thing about cook and the team even though someone will have a bad night but everyone knows that they'll get back into it and even if they are taken out they have that trust and they have that confidence to get back into it i mean perfect example like kansas state you know after the third set after just how how tough of a loss that was in set 4 you know they bring in ani evans Everyone trusted that she can get them back into it, and they and she did. She's only played in the Omaha match since then, but she still believe she still knows that she's contributing to the team through practice. I was actually at practice on Monday, saw them working. Everyone was talking with each other. They really were building those relationships. They had that trust with one another. Cook also was pointing out a lot of facts during practice as well. You know, he was giving him, obviously being a coach, giving him pointers, but he was also seeing the chemistry that was building between each player, and he was also mixing them up. You know, he was like, he would have Lexi and Kenzie working together, then he would have, like, Lexi and, like, Lindsay working with working with each other, and then he would have, uh, um, running out of, <laughs> it was, it was a lot. He was switching, with right. he, a lot of players were switching around, and that was another thing that, Ani even brought up when I talked to her after practice last week. She said they switched the lineups in practice a lot. That, of course, means you would have to build more trust with one another and thus making it truly a team sport in this scenario. I mean, there's six there's six girls on the court, but there's a lot more there as a team. Well, Thomas also has a feature out on Ani Evans that is out today as of Wednesday. Uh, that's a good one. Go ahead and read that. A really interesting story from the beginning of the Husker season. Let's touch a little bit about uh, on Creighton. Uh, we, we again just a bit more broadly uh, here before we really zone in on Utah, which is Saturday's match. Uh, but just some details. Creighton comes in at six and zero. Nebraska five and zero. 
So both teams undefeated. Uh, Creighton has wins against USC, Missouri, and most importantly, they swept, again, three sets to none, defending champ and former number three, now I believe number eight, Kentucky. It is a huge, huge challenge for Nebraska coming on Wednesday night. Yeah, that was a very impressive win by Creighton last week, just sweeping Kentucky national champs, number three. Cook even brought that up and saying how the matchup between Creighton, you know, like way back when it just seemed it would just start off as like this fun little matchup with another Nebraska school and now it's the program, right? Yeah, exactly. And so now it's really become this this in state rivalry matchup and what better place to have this game go down than in Omaha, where they held the NCAA tournament last year. 14,000 fans are going to be there. That's nearly twice as much as the Devaney Center can hold. It's going to be a crazy matchup for Nebraska and Creighton tonight. Yeah, and I mean, what better opportunity for a Creighton team that's playing great volleyball to get its first win over Nebraska in program history, right? Mm. You were talking about that in a little note that it's like good for, uh, you know, good for the state, right? It is, and like you see it, the UNO performance was really tight. Like, volleyball in the state of Nebraska is awesome. And you go back to that awesome John Cook quote from Monday that yes. Nebraska is the Mike heartbeat drop. of volleyball in the state. It's true. They're great. Like, the talent here is awesome. And it's going to really be on display, like, just the high level of volleyball, the collegiate level anyways, when these two teams get together. So it's going to be a really awesome match. Well, and again, I, you know, yeah. this is for either of you here, uh, or both of you, but that was a real mic drop moment from Coach Cook towards the end of his press conference. He said, hey, I think Nebraska is the heartbeat of volleyball in this country and referenced UNO, uh, who, again, an amazing, amazing weekend for the Mavs. Even though they came away one and two, man, they pushed Nebraska to the limit. They did the same to Arizona State. Uh, and then you look at Creighton, and Creighton, you know, Coach Cook said, hey, I think they're number two in the country. That's where he would rate them. Come in at number 19, which you and I think is a little bit low. Uh, but there is a lot of good programs here in this state, and it's going to be on display, full display, a, f- a celebration of volleyball. That was the other term uh, that Cook used to describe Wednesday night's match. How big is this game for the state of Nebraska just as a whole? It's it's huge. I mean, again, Creighton beat, just beat the national champs, and now they're playing what is known as one of the best volleyball teams in the country, Nebraska. This is really going to be a staple for not just the season, but probably like volleyball in general. I mean, you got, again, two biggest teams going head-to-head on Fox Sports 1, right. nationally broadcast. That's going to be insane. And in fun fact, the last time these two teams met each other in Omaha, it went five sets. So I won't be surprised if tonight the exact same thing happens, five sets. Yeah, I kind of agree with Thomas. I think that it would be really tough to imagine anything other than just a back-and-forth five-set battle. I mean, I, I was just looking at, on the preview on Huskers.com, the most recent matchups in Omaha, but 19-0 and all-time with Creighton. Like, that number is definitely sticking with the Blue Jays, especially now that they've had this, like, great run of form in Kentucky over the last week with that their performance there. You have to, I, I don't know. It's just going to be a very good game, and, yeah, it's, it's going to be really big for Nebraska, especially with that, like, young team, all the tinkering that John Cook's done early mm-hmm. on this season. It'll be one thing that will be interesting to monitor tonight is whether or not like a rotation emerges that if Nebraska's in a spot and needs a group that can go out there and rattle off like six, seven points in a row or go on that like big 10-3 scoring run that's needed to take an advantage in a set, like 
who's John Cook going to lean on? Is it going right. to be the, more of the experienced players, or will it be like the younger crew? So there's a lot to look at from that perspective tonight, and that's what makes this just all the more interesting. Let's look at Saturday here. Nebraska welcomes the Utah Utes, if I remember the correctly. Utes, yes. Uh, Utes, that is at Devaney on Saturday night, I believe is 7.30 for serve. Moved back a little bit later than usual because the Husker game is the football game is at 2:30. Uh, so no Power Five wins for the 5 and 0 Utah Utes, and Nebraska will be the first five Power Five team they've even faced at this point in the season. Utah is not getting a lot of discussion this week. Is there a worry for you that Nebraska overlooks them at all, Thomas? From what, I, from what I've seen, from what Cook likes to talk about, obviously the focus right now is Creighton tonight, but I. I wouldn't be surprised if the second that match is done, there might be if they win, it'll be some celebr- there will be some celebration. If they lose, it'll be just shake it off. You know, early in the season, we got a lot to work on. But no matter what, after that whole thing is out of the way, it'll be focusing on Utah. I mean, you got you got th- you got after tonight, you got tomorrow, and you got Friday to practice to get ready for them. And Utah, I'm looking at their I'm looking at their five wins right now. I mean, they beat. San Diego, who was ranked 22 when they faced them, so that's a pretty impressive win right there. And so, yeah, other teams could possibly be sleeping on them, but knowing Nebraska, they sh- they can't. They can't be sleeping on them. I mean, Omaha almost beat them, and you can argue maybe they slept on them, but we don't know. So, going for this weekend after Creighton tonight, all on Utah. I mean, I wouldn't even be surprised, even if Nebraska wins tonight, if John Cook says, yeah, we have a game on Saturday against Utah. Like, that's just <laughs> right. the type of guy he is. Right. You know? So uh, I did, t- I did, you know, do a little digging into Utah, found a couple of little fun factoids that might make Saturday a little bit interesting. This might be due to competition, but Utah's recorded double-digit blocks in all five matches. Like, that's something that's pretty impressive. Utah currently, like, leads the country, I think, in blocks per set. Uh, number two in the country in blocks per set, which is pretty impressive. Ten service aces. Uh, and yeah, I had the note about San Diego too. So haven't had a Power Five victory quite yet. They but have a ranked one, though. Yeah, a ranked one. So yeah. eh, you know, uh, Utah has a couple good players. They have a three-time All-American, Danny Drews. Uh, Kennedy Evans currently leads the Pac-12 in blocks. So Utah seems to be a pretty good defensive team, which could give Nebraska a little bit of trouble because in a couple of those uh, sets against. Uh, Georgia and UNO, and Nebraska was kind of unable to get anything going offensively, so if that continues for an extended period of time against Utah, I predict that things will not be super happy and fun for Cook's bunch, but uh, yeah, I mean, to think that Nebraska won't be drilled in and ready to face a ranked opponent, I mean, I'd personally be really stunned (laughs) if John Cook let that happen, so. Well, a couple of ranked matchups next week as well. Ranked Stanford on the road, that is the first uh, official out-of-state road test for Nebraska, uh, they go to Palo Alto on Tuesday, and then, then they welcome the uh, Louisville Cardinals to Lincoln next Saturday night at 7 o'clock. Uh, that game is the final non-conference game for Nebraska before they enter the Big Ten schedule with Northwestern and Iowa in the following week. So it's a big, big crucible ahead for this group, and there's less room, I think, to tinker with the lineup as we enter this week and next. Well, I remember... Monday when I came into the press conference, you know, people, they were talking about, of course, the Creighton game, but then they just immediately jumped over to the Stanford and Louisville game. You know, they, they, they too were kind of like not focusing on Utah because they're like, obviously Stanford, that's usually right. a great, usually one of the best schools in the country and in Louisville, another great school. And I'm looking at both Stanford and Louisville right now. Stanford, obvious, um, 
they can't they had a good win against florida you know beat them three to one but then they got swept by number one texas the very next uh, uh like a few days later oh three so the this week they have minnesota and penn state and then they'll have nebraska so they'll have three straight big 10 matchups so it's going to get interesting to see how stanford gets used to the big 10 taste before going toe-to-toe with nebraska as for louisville um, trying to pull up their schedule. Internet has having fun with us people. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, what a what a brilliant slate that is for Stanford, though. I mean, you got uh, Texas, then Minnesota, Penn State, Nebraska, Kentucky. Yeah. Should be a very big week ahead for Nebraska volleyball, regardless of you know prior results, what's upcoming. Uh, and yeah, definitely agree that the tinkering might have to stop a little bit, but we sure are going to learn a heck of a lot about this team over the next seven days. All right. And go ahead and visit the uh, dnsports.com, and you can go to the volleyball section. You can read Thomas's piece on Ani Evans, and that feature, and man, that was a really, really cool story from the opening week for Husker Volleyball. Nebraska is 5-0. and uh, They have Creighton on Wednesday, and again, Utah on Saturday. Big thanks to Thomas Cotto for joining us. Coming up next, we'll talk women's soccer. This is Scarlet Fever, and I'm Grant Hanson, joined by Landon Wood. All right, that was Thomas Cotto. Big thanks to Thomas for hopping on this week. Scarlet Fever Episode 3, Grant Hansen alongside Landon Wirt. And now it's time to dig into Husker women's soccer. It's a kind of a weird week last week. A surprise loss to UNO, which certainly kind of hurts. But you bounce back with a big win against Loyola Chicago. This week, the Huskers head to Tucson, Arizona, and they'll face both of the Arizona uh, schools, Arizona State and Arizona this weekend. So your thoughts, Landon, as you look back on last week, let's start with the UNO game. Technically an own goal uh, is what ends up dooming the Huskers in that one. Just couldn't get any of the offense going, which is kind of a trend you saw from Oklahoma uh, in weeks past. Yeah, so if this, if the Nebraska and UNO game were a match on FIFA between you and one of your buddies, uh, by the end of it, a controller is going either through the TV or out the window. I kid you not. Like, this is... One of the most frustrating soccer games, just from a statistical perspective, that I've seen in a very, very long time. UNO finishes the match with one total shot, and that one total shot was from a Nebraska player that went in Nebraska's own net. Nebraska finished the match with 22 total shots, six of which came on target, but 22 total shots to one, and the one was an own goal. Just so frustrating all around to lose a game like that. Like, it just has to be frustrating. It's, I mean, credit to UNO's goalkeeper, UNO's defense for being able to keep Nebraska off the scoreboard, especially with just the array of chances. Nebraska has to be a lot better in finishing those. The rate of 22 shots to six on targets, it's not terrible, but it's not great. So, you know, there definitely needed to be an improvement in a final th- in the final third from one game to the next, which... We said that that happened, but it was funny because when we were talking about the match on Wednesday, I said that Nebraska needed to keep a clean sheet defensively and not give up any goals. And technically, Nebraska did score the only goal of the match, so ha. But not a great loss. Uh, Really, like I said, frustrating to lose a game like that. And credit to UNO's goalkeeper as well, like I said, who has one of the coolest names ever. Uh, She's from Denmark. Mia Olsen Rede Ritz. 
I think I kind of went a little bit more German with the pronunciation there, but still yeah. a really cool name. Uh, so she made six very important saves to help keep the Huskers off the board and secure a really big three points of that intrastate derby between the two schools. Yeah, a lot of international women's athletes coming to Lincoln this last this last week. Uh, Arizona State had six international players on on their squad, including Amana Sanovich, uh, for volleyball uh, back on Saturday. So you you look at the Omaha game and now put it next to the Loyola Chicago game. Compare and contrast. What were the differences? Well, it's it's about being more clinical in the final third, right? I mean, as a coach, after you have a loss like that. There's really not much you can say other than just throw it out the window. It's a huge statistical anomaly. Like Games like what happened in Nebraska against UNO don't happen very often. So the fact that Nebraska was able to come out, get two big first-half goals, just to see the ball go in the back of the net is so refreshing for a team that had been struggling to score over its last, I was going to say 180 minutes of play, but the uh, the Oklahoma game went into overtime. So over, like nearly 200 minutes of play so right it's just so refreshing for the team just to see the ball go in the back of the net and once that happens once the floodgates tend to start opening so really big victory against a Loyola team that had just come off of a victory over a really good Wisconsin team a tie actually I think a tie, in double a tie, overtime a tie against, still I was gonna say I, I couldn't remember whether or not that was a win or a tie but a positive result at a very good Wisconsin team and as we'd mentioned a couple of times on this podcast previously, a Loyola Chicago team that's projected to go to the NCAA right. tournament. So the fact that Nebraska was able to respond like that and kind of steamroll them, I mean, Loyola finished the match with no shots on target. So that's one of the similarities, I guess you could say. It's another pretty sound defensive performance from Nebraska. Uh, for the third consecutive match, really, I mean, Oklahoma, you just give off the one goal late. UNO, it's an own goal. And then you keep Loyola basically away from the net for the entire match. Um, Eleanor Dale was really good. Uh, that she's been one of Nebraska's key players all season. So her having an impact was a huge difference from that UNO match. A first half goal and assist, like that was just massive to get the Huskers going early. And then, um, yeah, just being more clinical in the final third. Well, you look ahead to this next week as the Huskers move to five and zero all time against Loyola Chicago. And hopefully a positive indicator for Nebraska for the future after kind of a tough couple of games in a row with Oklahoma and UNO. This week you face Arizona and Arizona State. And first, as you look at Arizona, they're 2-2 two and two on the year. Kind of a staggering loss to Utah Valley uh, that came a couple of weeks ago. Uh, they've lost LSU as well. They are 0-2 against, actually check that, no, 0-1 uh, against Power 5 opponents. Uh, Nebraska will face them on Sunday. Arizona State is the Thursday matchup, and this is the one that's maybe a bit more challenging for Nebraska. Arizona State, 5-1, and one, wins against Power 5 Mississippi State. Um, they did fall to LSU in their most recent match on Sunday by a score of 5-2. to two. So LSU has beaten both of these teams that Nebraska will face this weekend. Um, this game, Thursday, 4 o'clock uh, Mountain Time, which is 6 here if I'm doing my math right. Uh, but big weekend ahead for Nebraska. Can they continue the momentum against Loyola Chicago? That's the question, right? Yeah. Um, you know, scout, scouting Arizona State a little bit, uh, one of the things that jumped off the page to me when I was looking through their roster a little bit is Arizona State has two senior forwards that have combined for 11 goals. So Nebraska's really going to have to, you know, talk about continuing that momentum. It needs to start defensively because keeping Arizona State off the board might prove to be a little bit of a challenge. So Arizona State's a very solid team. Uh, one of the teams that I had mentioned is going to be a you know contender of the Mac 12 for the NCAA tournament. 
it's going to be a challenge. Uh, two games on the road, right. probably a hostile environment. The thing that has to travel for Nebraska is defense because Nebraska's been able to prove all year that the goals will come eventually, right? Whether it's in short spurts as we've seen against Baylor, short spurts kind of as we've seen against Loyola Chicago. Home or road, Nebraska's offense will eventually get there. But the thing that Nebraska will need to keep it in games all season against whether they're on the road against teams like Arizona and Arizona State, back in Big Ten play against teams like Wisconsin, Nebraska's going to need its defense to be its calling card. So if the Huskers really want to continue over that momentum, they're going to have to be very, very sound on the defensive front. Huskers all year have only allowed three goals. Arizona State, uh, Huskers are 1-0-1 all-time. Actually, 0-1-1 all-time against the Sun Devils. Uh, In that matchup, Nebraska lost 5-0. That came all the way back September 12, 2010. So it's been a long time since these two teams have played. In fact, the same situation uh, for Arizona. So it's been about 10 years since Nebraska's made a trip down to Tucson as Nebraska's 2-0 against the Wildcats all time, you know, with the conference schedule beginning next week, how big is it for Nebraska to close the non-con with some momentum? Yeah, if Nebraska can gain four points, so a win and a draw from these two matches, it would just be huge. Of note there, the LSU match for Arizona State starting, I know this podcast will come out after that, but... right. Arizona State just allowed five goals to LSU. (laughs) So uh, Nebraska should be able to breach that defense a little bit. Moving to the Arizona side of things, it's just a matter, it it really is just a matter of like making sure the defense is there. Four points from a road swing of two games is a pretty good benchmark to hit. If Nebraska wins both, uh, you know, obviously it's a huge, you know, positive step going into Big Ten play. The one little knock that we've seen so far from them has kind of been game-to-game consistency. Right. Uh, the UNO performance was a bit of an aberration in terms of how they played so far. A disappointing performance against an OU team that wasn't supposed to be great. So if Nebraska can just maintain consistency a little bit against both of these teams and come away with two positive results, like that's the big thing. Just no, no negative stuff, right? If Nebraska can come away with two positive results, I think they'll be... I mean, of course, they'll be in very good shape. And just carrying over that momentum into a very what should be a very competitive Big Ten is just going to be huge for John Walker's squad this weekend. Both these opponents for Nebraska this week are relatively untested in terms of Power 5 opponents. Uh, two combined, uh, I guess, three games between the two, uh, LSU and Mississippi State. Um, only LSU for Arizona, Mississippi State, and LSU for Arizona State. Is that typical to see so few Power 5 opponents on a non-conference schedule? Uh, yeah, for the most part it is. I mean, you are really kind of just playing the smaller schools around your area just to start. I mean, looking at Arizona's schedule, Northern Arizona, close. Cal State, Northridge, not really super close, but, I mean, that's a close-ish proximity to one another. Utah Valley, close. Um, Arizona, of note, will have another Power 5 school on its docket before the Nebraska game. Uh, they'll play Texas Tech. Right. Don't know too much about them, but that is another Power 5 school. They'll welcome it home, so Arizona will be looking to get something out of that game. Um, and then Arizona closes with Gonzaga. So it's not really like too out of the ordinary to see so few Power 5 schools. But, I mean, the contrast is Nebraska's really come out and scheduled aggressively. And in, in past seasons for Nebraska soccer... 
uh, when John Walker is kind of known what his team's peak is, I would say. Uh, the non-conference schedules looked a little bit lighter, but I mean, it really just is indicative of how excited he is about this team and about their young talent that Nebraska is going out and scheduling so aggressively against teams like Loyola and against teams like Arizona State. So I think that it is typical, but it also is on that note, kind of a reflection of where your coaching staff thinks your team's at a little bit, if that makes sense. Well, Nebraska will face off against Arizona State in Tucson Thursday evening. It looks like, as I'm digging around here on the Sun Devils website, there will be a live stream of some sort. Uh, it doesn't look like it'll be televised on ESPN, ESPN Plus or the Pac-12 Network or something like that, but it looks like if you go to the Arizona State website under the schedule, you can click watch. I think that is free. Uh, don't quote me on that for sure, <laughs> but it looks like that. It looks like that is free. And then I believe the Nebraska game on Sunday, according to Arizona's website, looks like it'll be carried on the Pac-12 Network. So, uh, or networks. So be wary of that. Two big games for the Huskers coming up. And coming up next, we tur- we now turn to college football as Nebraska has picked up a win against Fordham, 52-7 to this last weekend. And so we'll look into that now before we close the day with 1-2-N-U and we'll also look ahead to Buffalo. So, you know, your initial reactions, Landon, to what we saw on Saturday. Really slow start and it had probably a lot of Husker fans thinking, oh boy, here we go again. But the finish, the close after the block kick by Deontay Williams uh, was something that was really special. Yeah, I mean... You know, I, I've gone back and forth about, like, what this game means, right? I right. mean, with hindsight is twenty twenty, and this is something I talked about kind of in my story from Monday's press conference, Nebraska really needed to pick me up after Illinois, like, badly. Just based on going back two press conferences ago, how shocked some of the players were that what happened against Illinois happened. Right. Nebraska really needed just something to feel good about like a boost so you know the the whole nebraska's whole schedule kind of came into a you know big local media story but i mean credit to the now not with the athletic department anymore bill moose and frost for working together to get this game scheduled early get them feeling a little bit better and you know work on some things before you go in and have two games and i mean i don't know I'm glad that Nebraska was able to figure it out. One of the main takeaways for me was defensively. In the second half, Fordham only gained 71 total yards, and a good bit of that came with the game like way, way, way into garbage time, and Fordham starters were playing against Nebraska's second and third stringers. So the fact that Nebraska was able to come out and really limit Fordham defensively in the second half was cool, especially because players noted postgame and on Monday – that Fordham came out with a pretty solid scheme early on. Mm-hmm. So that was really cool. Um, seeing a full Memorial Stadium was cool. Yeah, I mean, that was just like a really cool experience for me. I hung out on the field for a bit before the game. Almost missed kickoff, but didn't. Uh, those elevator lines are very, very long when there's yeah. fans in the stands. Yeah, but uh, that was a really cool experience for me. And, I mean, at the end of the day, slow start aside, Nebraska did what it set out to do, which was win win comfortably um one of the other things i liked seeing was the running back depth uh i was a big jock has yant fan after the spring game so getting right. to see him come in and run he's such a powerful runner i really like seeing him in mop-up duty at the end of the game so i don't know i mean 
it was good for backups to get reps, live reps against an actual team for the first time in a couple of years. As I can't remember which Nebraska reporter pointed that out. It might have been Sean Callahan, but don't quote me on that. But that was a good spot that Nebraska's backups hadn't played live football in a couple of years. I believe it was since the Maryland blowout a couple of years ago in College Park. But, you know, it was what was expected, and Nebraska came out and did what it was supposed to do, and it really smothered Fordham in the second half. So from a game against an FCS school, all the boxes were checked, and now you can kind of turn your attention to Buffalo. Yeah, I think, you know, my biggest takeaway from the whole thing was that that was what was supposed to happen, right? Like, the first couple of series offensively uh, were pretty rough, right? You had that fumble exchange issue on the first, literally the first drive. Uh, Adrian somehow able to pick up uh, the first down on the ground. Then you have, he he missed uh, an open receiver on the preceding, the next uh, set of downs, and then took a shot to Wiley, which I like. I like that play, honestly. Like, I'm okay with that. I didn't think Adrian missed the throw too badly. Mm-hmm. It, it's a 50-50 ball. And look, you took a shot and it didn't pay. That's fine. Um, but the preceding throw where he missed an open receiver was something that, you know, it was, oh, gosh, you know, I guess had, again, one of those things where you thought the fumble on the opening drive. Then you had the missed receiver and you thought, oh, gosh, here we go again, yeah. especially considering the way that Fordham responded on the next series in their first offensive series. But luckily, you know, one of Nebraska's uh, big guns defensively, one of their big leaders, JoJo Doman, comes up with an interception, his first of his career, and that was pretty cool to see. And after that, you know, it 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 didn't like it wasn't like it took off Nebraska's way immediately after that. Uh, it took till maybe the second quarter again, that block kick to really change momentum. But I felt like once Nebraska, you know, got some confidence um, in itself, things really started to, to shift. And so uh, it was, I, I think there are a couple of things that have really made themselves clear after this this week, I think. Um, number one, Marquis Stepp deserves to be the guy at, in the backfield. To me, th- that's a no-brainer at this point. Uh, and, and number two, Samari Torre is, is legit. Yeah, Torre was brilliant. I am, he was just always open. Again, I mean, again, right. I know it's for an FCS, yep. In, a, in an FCS school. But Torre was, it seemed like every time Adrian dropped back to throw, there was not a defender within five to 10 yards of Samari Torre. I mean, he looked really good. He looks to be a clear wide receiver one, which is good because. Over the past couple of years, there are a bunch of names that spring to my mind of transfer-wide receivers that have just been completely unproductive in a Nebraska uniform that right. many thought were going to be more productive. Conaway Noah springs to mind, a couple right. of other similar ones. So it's good that Torrey's gotten that like notion out of the way that transfer-wide receivers can come in here and be really, really productive. And Torrey's really good. He was... It'll be interesting to see how it translates, but it's clear that him and Adrian have some rapport, yes. especially in the running game. I mean, a couple of times when that op- when that option play is really working and Torre is just able to get out in space like that, it's really cool to watch. It was brought up post game a couple of times. Torre d- and-, and Adrian didn't really want to go into specifics of it because I have a feeling that it might not be next week, might not be against Oklahoma, but sometime down the road we'll probably see that concept again. Might be a couple of weeks. Might be in you know a different way now, but uh, that was cool. And then yeah, Marquis Step 
has to be the running back one. In Frost, in Frost-led offenses here that have worked, there has been a back like Marquise Stepp. Whether it's been Divino Zigbo or Diedrich Mills, it's a big, powerful runner yep. that can get through tackles and has enough foot speed to accelerate a little bit at the second level. And that's Marquise Stepp. I mean, he can get around the outside. He's powerful enough to go through the middle. And I think Nebraska almost needs more step. I mean, in games that matter, I think that this team might need like 20 to 25 doses of Marquis step a game. I don't know if that's like overselling it, and I don't know if I'm crazy a little bit. But, I mean, Step seems to welcome the workload, and he seems to like it. He said that he hadn't had that many carries in a game <laughs> since high school. Right. But he's he's lean, he's physically fit. He said that he felt great on Monday, and I think that – you know, if you can up the workload on a back like that, why don't you do it? So I, I agree. Both those takeaways were huge. And that's, I mean, really above all, those two things combined with the fact that Adrian was able to settle it and look confident. I mean, those are the three big takeaways from this one, right? So. Yes. And he was confident because he had time to throw the ball. And that was not there in the first quarter. The offensive line was was rough in that first quarter. I mean, you heard Greg Austin talking yesterday that Adrian was really getting on those guys, and Greg was trying to coach him, but Adrian's still trying to, you know, to, to get the offense, offensive line in gear. And they, to, to their credit, they did. Uh, and that really was another big part of things that shifted momentum. And not to – we really shouldn't uh, discredit this either uh, because swing passes, they worked. Like, for the first time, I think, in my opinion, watching – the Scott Frost offense in Nebraska, the swing passes that were used here looked like they did at UCF. And it's because guys blocked. And that just hasn't been present. They had Noah, kind of why Noah, didn't block well enough. You mentioned him a little bit earlier. Guys just weren't built for that. Um, and, I, and I think some of these guys that we've seen here were, and again, like they went back to back to back swing passes on one drive, and they are all getting about eight yards a pop. That's exactly what you want. Yeah. And, you know, say what you will about guys like Wyatt Lewier and Levi Falk, but, like, those dudes can block when they're yes. in the game. They do their yep. jobs very, very well. They might not be the, the Omar Mannings or Samare Torres of the world, guys that can go make these incredible catches downfield, but they go in and do their jobs, and you need guys like that to make those concepts work really well because if you don't have that blocking on the outside – those plays go for nothing, and they look like how they have in the past where they go for either negative three yards or sometimes fumbled backwards, and it, they just get blown up. So you need guys like in there to make those those sort of concepts work. And again, yes, it's Fordham, but it's good to see those guys getting confidence that those concepts work because last year in, in Big Ten play a little bit when the schedule was only Big Ten and some of those concepts weren't working a couple of times right away early on in the game – you can kind of, I mean, it's pretty fair to assume that you kind of just lose confidence in it because you don't see it work, right. right? So now you have this, like, frame of reference to build back upon that, yeah, like, we can go get it. If we execute correctly, we can go get yards with this this concept if it's called on, you know, whether it's first and 10 or third and three, like, we know that we're confident in it. So just little things like that, getting, you know, getting your routes crisper, timing, all that fun stuff. It's just that that's what these kind of games are good for, and that's certainly one example. Well, let's move to this week as the Huskers uh, play on September 11th on Saturday. They'll be wearing their alternate uniforms, honoring the 20th anniversary uh, of 9-11 and honoring 
uh, both the first responders and those lost on that uh, horrific day. But as we look towards the football game itself, Nebraska hosts Buffalo. This is the first all-time meeting between these two teams. And before we get into any of the specifics regarding the game itself, let me ask you this. With the injuries this week, both season ending to Ronnie Bell of Michigan, their leading receiver, and Mo Ibrahim, uh, who many people know for Minnesota is good for about 250 yards and like two-plus touchdowns a game, both those guys are done for the year for Michigan and Minnesota. Both of those games are in that middle stretch for Nebraska of the conference schedule prior to facing Wisconsin, Ohio State, and Iowa all back-to-back. How big is this game for Nebraska in terms of confidence against Buffalo to drive into those games, especially considering these injuries to these two key players from Michigan and Minnesota that are going to make those games in the middle a little bit easier? Yeah, it's a bummer. I was pretty upset yes. when Mo I when Mo Ibrahim went down. Like it's just a bummer to me because I so good. I love watching him play. He's one of the best backs in the if not the best back in the country. And it just really stunk to see him go down like that. I don't really know how that's going to change Minnesota's offensive identity. I guess that this Saturday I believe they're playing Miami of Ohio will yep. be really interesting just to monitor to see who takes over that backfield I mean Minnesota's identity kind of goes away a little bit yep I mean nobody can repl- nobody can replace that on Minnesota's roster no no matter how much PJ Fleck will want to make us believe that somebody can so that really stinks and that I mean it obviously I mean you hate to say it but it obviously gives Nebraska advantage. an advantage in both those games because uh, I didn't get to watch Michigan last week. I know that they beat a Western Michigan side that's a pretty good Mac school, kind of like Buffalo is. But, I mean, that's huge, too. You you never want to lose. I mean, losing a guy like that, Amo Ibrahim, Ibrahim, gosh, I can never say, pronounce his name. I know. Right, well, people, there's different, you know, sometimes, I, I swear, like sometimes on ESPN it's Ibrahim and sometimes it's Ibrahim. Yeah, so oh. losing a guy like Mo Ibrahim and Ronnie Bell, it's different when you lose a guy like that in a game against Western Michigan versus in a game like Ohio State, but they're both in week one, so it's kind of both a wash. It gives Nebraska the upper hand. I don't really know much about what Michigan's receiving core looks like, um, you know, aside from that, but it's never easy to replace the production of two studs, and it gives Nebraska the upper hand. I mean, Nebraska does have to go to TCF Bank, right? which is never a fun place to play, especially if Minnesota is still competitive and the place will be bumping. But Michigan comes here, and, I mean, you have to think that, I mean, both of those games originally, you know, before all this started, before when I got to look at lines for every single one of Nebraska's opponents before the year started, Michigan and Minnesota were projected as two very close games. Now, Nebraska's loss to Illinois may have changed some of that, but... I mean, those guys are, you know, in, insurmountable t- or invaluable, I guess. Wrong word, right. use of the word in. To helping their team win late in the game when those games will probably undoubtedly come down to the wire. Minnesota could rely on a guy like Mo Ibrahim to pick up some first downs. And Michigan can rely if it's third and seven that, that Ronnie Bell's going to go get open. So not having that, it's got to be an advantage for Nebraska, which means, coming back to the original question, you have to take care of business on Saturday at home. There's no other way around it. You, these are the games that you really want to see progress under Frost. Nebraska has to take care of its business. Well, let's talk Buffalo a little bit. You know, uh, Landon is very familiar with that program. So, But 
we'll give you a little bit of an overview. So the Bulls took out Wagner last week, 69-7, to and there was a lot in the Husker media who were kind of freaking out about this a little bit. Well, for reference, Wagner is an FCS program that is worse than Fordham. Very bad. Yeah. So Very bad. I would really, again, uh, I, I would think that the results, 52-7, 69-7, pretty similar. For frame of reference, Wagner might be the UConn of yes. the of the FCS because I don't think Wagner played in 2020 and then in 2019 they were 1-11 so they're very bad Yeah, 70 Just points is still up. a lot of points yes. but the uh, Buffalo has won 11 of their last 12 new head coach Maurice Lindquist replaces Lance Leopold who is uh, now at Kansas Lindquist graduated from Baylor he's most recently uh, he's been a really a defensive backs coach for most of his career worked with the Dallas Cowboys most recently this is his first head coaching job and that your, known great Dallas Cowboys second. Yeah, yeah. Well, your thoughts. He's got a win under his belt. He's coming to Lincoln in a pretty big environment. This is, again, the first meeting all time between these two programs. What do you think? Buffalo's got a lot of confidence, that's for sure. Again, they've won 11 of their last 12, and the one thing Nebraska really hasn't had is confidence. Yeah, I could talk about Buffalo football, as Grant alluded to, for a really long time. As someone with way too much times on time on my hands last this time last fall, I found myself watching a lot of Tuesday and Wednesday night Mac football, and I was really drawn to Buffalo because I loved watching Jarrett Patterson just absolutely torch Mac defenses. But as a result, I got to learning a lot more about like Buffalo the team, and I I could I have a lot of takes formulated about the Bulls, but the overarching thing I will say is this: Buffalo is a run first team. They have a very good running back that complemented Patterson last year named Kevin Marks Jr. Now this year he is the main back. Very good, very shifty runner. He's, you know, powerful enough to get through guys on the defensive line and more than quick enough to have that burst of speed at the second level. He's really good. Nebraska can expect a steady dose of Kevin Marks um, over the weekend. And, you know, the other critical player here is Kyle Van Treese. Uh, really, really experienced quarterback. Uh, he's been around the block and then some for Buffalo. Uh, he started Buffalo's like last 16 games or something, which is something that Nebraska fans can't say about Adrian. Right. Uh, Buffalo, uh, I will say, kind of underselling them a little bit. Buffalo was in the MAC championship last year against Ball State. Uh, that was the one loss that they had. They lost that game, and uh, that's their lone blemish over the last year or so. Uh, Van Trees has won a couple bowl games, most recently the Camellia Bowl, I believe it was, over Marshall. So he's a really veteran, really experienced quarterback. He's not going to, he's not a gunslinger. He's more of a game manager type, but more than capable of pushing the ball down the field when needed. Uh, but when Buffalo is successful, it's one the run is established. So if Nebraska makes Buffalo throw, Nebraska will probably win because Buffalo's receiving core is kind of the lone downside of this team. It's not very experienced. Buffalo lost its top four receivers from last year, either due to some players following Leipold to Kansas or other transfers or the NFL. So that receiving core is a little bit inexperienced. Inexperienced. That's my. That might be what does Buffalo win. Uh, but Nebraska's got to stop the run. And Saturday's game will be decided. I can tell you this 100% fact. It's going to be decided in the trenches. Nebraska's O-line, Buffalo's D-line, Buffalo's O-line, Nebraska's D-line. Whoever comes out on top of that battle wins. Well, uh, Lance Leipold at Kansas, want to know. 
took out uh, good old South Dakota. And they'll actually face off against Coastal Carolina this weekend. So that'll be interesting uh, to watch. That's just an additional college football note. In your opinion, Landon, before we get into picks, we'll have 1-2 NU coming up here shortly. Do you think this is Illinois 2? Do you think that Husker fans are going to put so much stock into this game that if Nebraska loses, the season is over? I almost don't think that in terms of like nervousness prior to this matchup, I don't think Nebraska fans are putting enough stock into Buffalo. I am mm. here to tell you that Buffalo is not a team that you want to like screw around with and think that this is going to be a comfortable victory because it's not going to be. I will gladly eat my hat if I'm wrong, but Buffalo is way too good to take lightly. Buffalo is way too veteran. They still have way too many players around from a team that was ranked last year. Ranked. Something Nebraska wasn't. Right. They were 23rd in the country heading into the MAC championship game. If Buffalo won that game, they probably would have like either been really close. They wouldn't have been in a New Year's Six Bowl because of Cincinnati. But Buffalo would have been in a really good bowl game. And they have to, Buffalo has too many pieces from that team still around to make me feel like, oh, yeah, this is just going to be a really comfortable game for Nebraska. I think that if Nebraska loses, the season still isn't over because Nebraska still just played one Big Ten game. Right. So, I mean, even if Saturday doesn't go according to how odds makers believe it will, the sky still won't be falling as much as people I'm sure in the national media will dunk on Nebraska to make it seem like it is. It will certainly be disappointing, but it won't be over. So, Nebraska fans, I guess, my message to you is this. Buffalo is very good. Expect a close game, and the sky will not be falling because the falling because the Big Ten has to sort itself out. And honestly, there was a lot that happened in the Big Ten in Week 1 that did not leave me very, very impressed. So... On that front, I, I don't think that... I mean, Nebraska fans should obviously be putting stock into this, but a lot, it's a non-conference loss at the end of the day, or a non-conference win. A win's nice, a loss doesn't mean the world is ending. So, All right, well, we'll make our picks. Coming up next, 1-2, NU. All right, time now for 1-2-N-U, and, and we'll uh, give you a quick rundown of the rules. Landon and I will pick our top two college football games of the week and the Nebraska game. Our running records this year are not great. One and three. Each of us, uh, the only one we've got right is Fordham. So, uh, I don't know. Maybe, I, I mean, again, it's a pretty small sample size. I don't know if you should be making your bets based off of what we're about to tell you, but eventually we'll right the ship. I, I can promise you that. Landon, your first non-Nebraska pick. Yeah, uh, I rolled with two underdogs last week, and I got completely burned. So now I'm going to go with, spoiler alert, two favorites this week. The first one, I'm going to go kind of out of order a little bit and start with the big noon kickoff on Saturday, Ohio State and Oregon. I learned a lot about Ohio State last week. As we mentioned earlier in this podcast, the injury to uh, Mo Ibrahim really, really hurt uh, Minnesota's chances to end up pulling that game out because I think that Minnesota probably would have been able to control the clock a little bit more in a close game had he still been around. Um, but man, like the resolve from CJ Stroud to come out in the second half with Ohio State 
up against the ropes a little bit. True freshman, 19 years old, right? And his first collegiate start at a very hostile environment in Minnesota. And to come out and look so cool and composed and calm and make the throws he needed to make and the trust that he had in, you know, Olave and Garrett Wilson to get open and make plays, I was blown away. Ohio State is really good. And on the Oregon side of things... Not so much. I... The Kayvon Thibodeau injury is one of the other ones that makes me really sad. I think that, like, he's obviously not going to be out for the season. But he was in a walking boot last week in that game against Fresno State after he left the field. To me, that's not someone that screams, oh, yeah, I'm going to be playing on Saturday. Right. So that really doesn't give me confidence. I also think that Ohio State's – I don't think this. I know this. Ohio State's had more time off to prepare for Oregon While Oregon was playing on Saturday, Ohio State could just sit back and watch. I like Ohio State to cover the 14.5-point spread and win the game in the shoe. Not very sold on Anthony Brown and Oregon's offense. I think Ohio State has better players and will do more than enough to win comfortably. Give me the Buckeyes and a little bit of a high scorer, 48-30. Well, you know, I really... Last week, tried to stay away from the big popular games, and this week, uh, yeah, well, I'm going to go the other way as well. So I'll take the Cyhawk game here. Iowa, Iowa State. Favorite here is Iowa State by four and a half. And I, listen, I think Iowa will cover here. Certainly, I, I think Iowa State bounces back. They've started slow in back to back years. And luckily, they were able to win their their woof, first game. Woof, woof, but, woof. That's all you can say about that against Northern Iowa, yeah, right? Yeah, it was some rough stuff. And Northern Iowa's good. Let me tell you, like, they're traditionally a good group of five, right? But, listen, Iowa State has started slow back-to-back years. They escaped this year. Not escaping last year, in many ways, I think, cost them a spot at the playoff, um, especially down the stretch. And so, I think I think this is a, cu- a wake-up call week for a couple of teams. And Iowa State's one of them. But I think Iowa covers. Iowa last week, that was the most surprising score of the weekend, the way that they totally destroyed Indiana. Um, I think it's 27-24. Iowa State comes out on top by a field goal late, but this is going to be a heck of a game. That's a good pick. These games always seem to come down to be decided by like one or two or three points, even four. I think four would even get you there at this point. This game's going to be really close. I'm really looking forward to it. I'm kind of upset that it's right during that window of the Nebraska game. Right. I'm jealous. I wish I could sit back on my couch with my two TVs and have Nebraska up and this game up because it's going to be a really good one. Uh, So really looking forward to seeing how that shakes out. And that could cause a huge little balance of power there in the uh, the AP Top 25 after that because the winner might get vaulted up into a top six spot. Loser, not so much. Well, two favorites for Landon and two dogs for me. Landon, your second non-Nebraska pick. Yeah, uh, I'm officially revoking my Texas slander from last week. Mm. Uh, didn't get to check out much of their game against Louisiana, but holy cow. I, I mean, whiffed on that one. Louisiana's a ranked team. Texas came out and thoroughly thrashed them at home. Uh, Hudson Card looked really good. Texas's defense looked really good. Uh, and one of the more interesting storylines of last week from a gambling perspective was Arkansas losing, I think, 19-7 to at home in the third quarter against Rice and then coming back to cover the whatever 17-point spread was. Arkansas cannot afford to come out and sleepwalk for two and a half quarters against Texas. It will be, uh, I believe the game is at Arkansas, correct? 
Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I, I think I, so. I'm going to need. I think so. I'm going to need confirmation on that. But I do like Texas to go out on the road and win by two scores. There, uh, I have 33 to 17. B. John Robinson is really good, and he honestly might be in the running for best running back in college football now that Mo Ibrahim is out. Uh, I like Sark. Sark's a good coach. I thought it was going to maybe take him a year to get things going, but starting out on the right foot with a big win over Louisiana is huge. Therefore, I like Hook'em Horns to go in there and handle Arkansas by two scores, 33-17. Let the Texas's back talk ensue. Yeah, I whiffed hard on that one last week, picking Louisiana. That game was also very shocking. And props to Texas. That's a senior, experienced Louisiana team that Texas handled pretty comfortably. Yeah, and that should really put Oklahoma on on notice, I think, to some extent, especially if that trend continues this weekend, uh, considering Oklahoma's performance against Tulsa. My second pick of the week, Michigan and Washington. It is the nightcap on Saturday, and uh, it, it is a game that, I think many will be forced to watch because there's nothing better on. There's no better late game. Listen, I think this game will actually be kind of interesting. Washington is coming off a really embarrassing loss uh, to the Grizz of Montana, and I think this week they do wake up enough. I don't know if they beat Michigan. I think they cover 23-17. Michigan comes out on top and wins this one. But generally, here's the thing. I am always leery of Michigan. Anytime I've made a pick related to the Wolverines, it always goes wrong. So we're going to throw another data point uh, into the long list of Michigan backstabs uh, that have happened to me in picking games. I, I think Michigan wins it 23-17. to 17. Washington responds well, but the Wolverines are able to get it done at home. Yeah, I like that, uh, especially with no Ronnie Bell. I think that might take Michigan a little bit to figure out their identity a little bit. And the line, by the way, is seven points. Uh, yes, Michigan I is the just noticed that. That kind of surprises me a little bit. Yeah. I think Jimmy Lake is a really good coach, very underrated, and didn't get to show a lot of his stuff last year with Washington only playing like four games. So I, I, I do like that. I think that that's going to be a close game on Saturday. And yeah, Saturday night slate is abysmal. The only other thing that... Might even be remotely worth watching is Utah BYU at nine fifteen. That will be fun. Uh, I was almost I was close to picking that one, and I yeah, kind of too. wanted to go on a similar route with you, Utah winning BYU covering that seven point spread, but I ended up not. All right, well here we go. It's time the NU of the one two NU Nebraska is favored by a staggering thirteen and a half points against Buffalo. Man, if you look at any time Nebraska has been favored by this much in a game under Scott Frost, it has never, ever gone well. Ever. Ever. Ever, ever. And what do you think? I mean, is it is it Husker fans inflating this spread? 13.5 is a lot for a team that has not proven much. I have a couple of takes here that, are, that I will share briefly. The first is that at this current moment, Nebraska should not be favored by two touchdowns against against next to nobody. I mean, Fordham, of course, and some lower-level Power Fives and some lower-level D1 teams, yes. But Buffalo Buffalo deserves a little bit more respect than that. I thought that that line was going to open at somewhere like 8 or 9, but 13 is a lot. The second thing that I think is that Buffalo has the tools to come into Memorial Stadium and pull an upset, and here's what I mean by that. They have a quarterback in Kyle Van Trees that is very experienced. He's been in difficult situations before, been around the block a bunch. 
is not going to get phased by an intimidating crowd of 80,000 plus people. Buffalo can also control the clock. In addition to Kevin Marks Jr., Buffalo has a host of good running backs behind that that can come in and complement him. So Buffalo is more than capable of controlling the clock on Saturday. They still have a very good offensive line with a couple of great returners up there. And then defensively, Buffalo's got some horses. They don't have Jarrett... Wait, hold on. They don't have Jarrett Patterson anymore, but they do have James Patterson at linebacker, who is an all-conference linebacker, and they return both of their core, actually. Very good players there. And one more guy I wanted to mention for Buffalo that I didn't earlier is defensive end Taylor Riggins. He's a fifth-year senior, missed all of last year due to an injury, was a first-team all-max selection in 2019, had 50 tackles, had eight and a half sacks, ten and a half tackles for loss, three fumble recoveries in his last last healthy season. Guy is a great player. Last week against Wagner, picked up right back where he left off with two sacks. So Buffalo's got some studs on the defensive side of the football as well. All of those things added up together, it's a similar profile to teams that have been able to come into Memorial Stadium that have been from the MAC or the Sun Belt or whatever and come in and win games. So your pick. I reserve the right to change this. But as of Wednesday, September 8th at 1.30 p.m., I'm picking Buffalo to win, 26-23. to 23. I think that what really scared me at Monday's press conference was hearing Scott Frost say that him and his staff might have to guess a little bit at what Mo Linguist is going to run, and that kind of, like, scared me to hear, <laughs> and I don't think enough people are talking about it, so... If Nebraska isn't able to crack this code, I, I, I just don't know. I think we're both in agreement that Buffalo will cover, cover the spread. Oh, certainly. And I do think that it's going to be a game that comes right down to the wire. I, I just think Buffalo is going to win it. I reserve the right to change this pick in editor score predictions on Thursday. Just putting it out there. Well, I, I, I got to agree. Listen, the thing is, in my opinion, this spread is the easiest bet of the week. I, I mean, I really, really feel that way. 13 and a half points. Nebraska is barely barely even ever covered something like that and you think about the the big wins the biggest scoring wins in the scott scott frost era here bethune cookman last week against fordham and minnesota in year one in which the huskers scored 56 points didn't nebraska score a lot of points against illinois and champagne if i remember that correctly Uh, yes but it was the spread in terms of points i believe was within 10 so at that point it is it is rare. It is exceedingly rare for Nebraska to win by two touchdowns in the last four years. I don't really think that changes here. A line I would be comfortable with, three points, which is the general line that you get for a home team, right? Home team is favored by a field goal. And in this case, I think Buffalo certainly covers the 13.5-point spread. And I really, I honestly have to pick Buffalo. 24-21, the Bulls get the win in Memorial and send a lot of Husker fans home unhappy. I, It's just... The trends over the past four years do not say Nebraska wins this game. And, you know, as many, I think many would hope that that changes here. And if it did change here, that wouldn't be totally shocking to me, especially considering the importance of this game uh, preceding Oklahoma. But I I think think Buffalo wins 24-21. And again, this 13.5-point spread, that is way too much. Yeah, I'd love to do some digging as to how Nebraska's fared as a double-digit favorite. Maybe not under Scott Frost because I don't know that uh, like that's happened on too many occasions in the past. But, uh, I mean, 
13 and a half is ridiculous. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I think that Buffalo is a team that deserves way more respect than that. I'd, if anyone in, in the comments on Twitter or on the Facebook comments on this post would like to fill us in on what Nebraska's history has been, maybe over the last decades, a two-touchdown favorite even, I'd love to hear it. Because I just have thought of so many instances where it haven't, hasn't really gone well recently. The one that I can think of was the South Alabama game. Or uh, Indy, or Illinois that, last that year. Fun. Illinois mm. last year was a 14-point dog. Oh, gosh, yeah, that's right. Illinois was a huge underdog last year. That and they came in and won by 20. That's why I don't – and that happened time and time again. I think Minnesota was also a double-digit dog yeah. when they came here last year. And Minnesota won that game as well. So, all right, well, that's our picks. Hopefully things go better than one and three for the two of us. Uh, we'll see. I don't know. I mean, if you get if we get too far down on our records, we might have to just cancel the segment at some point. I don't know. Hopefully, maybe again, start hopefully. Picking, start picking NFL games. Yeah, or like maybe, you know – Michigan and Western Michigan from last week, stuff like that. But that'll do it for us here on Scarlet Fever Episode 3. We talk Nebraska women's soccer, Nebraska football, and Nebraska volleyball. Special thanks to Thomas Cotto for hopping on and joining us. So as we head into another big week, remember, this is the Daily Nebraskan Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at Landon Wirt for Landon and at Hanson with an E-N, 15 underscore Hanson for me. Also follow Daily Nebraskan at Daily NEB and DN Sports. Lots of content coming your way this weekend, another big weekend for Husker Athletics. So until next week, this is Scarlet Fever.